This is Millennially Speaking, a podcast about politics, pop culture, and everything in between. This week, we're talking about Jeffrey Epstein, a TV show is changing its ways, and why do we care if sports teams visit the White House? But first, what I'd like to talk about is the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. So, actually, this has less to do with Epstein and more to do with current Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta. So, basically what's going on is Jeffrey Epstein was charged back in the mid-2000s. The The decision actually came out in 2008. He was charged with sex trafficking, uh, specifically involving sex abuse of underage girls. And when he was sentenced for that particular set of crimes, he was given an extremely lenient deal. So Jeffrey Epstein is a multimillionaire. He is a hedge fund guy or a former hedge fund guy. So clearly there's some power and influence that is taking place here. But the concern was Alexander Acosta is the the current labor secretary and he was actually a uh, he was the the attorney at the time in the state of Florida where this decision was handed down. The agreement, one of the the most lenient parts of the agreement was that while Epstein would go to prison, he actually was given a deal where six days a week he could actually leave and freely, you know, move about and, and just essentially be a free person. Now, that's... I've personally never heard of that deal ever before, but that doesn't mean that it's it hasn't been given to uh, others in in some kind of a situation like this. I think it's outrageous that he was given such a lenient sentencing, uh, that he was given any kind of preferential treatment. Now, the argument that was being made was he, because of his money and influence, he would have ended up potentially serving hardly any time because he's got great lawyers but the terms of the deal were you know he serves this you know lenient time but it is time serving prison time and also he would have to register as a sex offender it's one of those where uh, I, I i get that they wanted to get him in prison they wanted something but alexander acosta he like i said he's now the labor secretary and it has just now come out about this sort of light sentencing from this previous, uh, these are previous charges. These are, Jeffrey Epstein was just recently arrested again on new charges this past week. So now because they are examining previous history and and its dealings with this particular individual, Alexander Acosta, there's question as to whether he should remain in this position within the Trump administration. Uh, And there's actually been several top Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer at the top, asking for him to either be fired or to resign. Personally, I think this is very misdirected in terms of the outrage here. I think a lot of times there is misdirected outrage, depending on the situation. So in this case, Absolutely, that was a super, super lenient, improper, if he hadn't been a person with all that power and money and influence, he would have gotten something much, much stricter and much harsher. 
but that doesn't mean you need to, I, I don't know, his, his record as that attorney from 11 years ago, how much of that now reflects on what he's doing as labor secretary, you know? I think, and and the other issue was that people are now, oh, his his relationship with Epstein and how close, you know, Trump was potentially to Epstein and, you know, he's, he knows this particular person and I, I don't know, again, it, it feels very misguided, it feels very misdirected. I think you should be mad. Obviously, you should be mad at Jeffrey Epstein for for getting away with crimes twice and he was trafficking underage girls like it's and and using them to recruit more girls. So, obviously you should be mad at him. You can be mad at the decision that was made, but I don't see how that matters now in a different position, you know, I don't I don't understand how firing him from his position as labor secretary, how does that make up for that super lenient call? I don't, I don't get, or I don't follow the logic there. Obviously, I take umbrage with this particular case. There's other cases where I think judges also get a lot of flack, and some is deserved. I think a lot of times you've got some courtroom backroom dealings that they're what causes the super lenient sentencing. Cause you had cases like Brock Turner, the swimmer from, I believe it was Stanford that was accused of raping a girl behind a dumpster at a party. And when he was sentenced, it was a super, super lenient sentencing. I believe it was only like six months. And then he got out, on good behavior just a few months after. So you've got these super lenient sentencings that I, I, you can blame the judges. You can blame the attorneys. It's, I think it's part of the entire system as to what we take seriously and as to what we, how we handle certain things based on who is being accused. And I think that's not right. Obviously that's not right. I, again, I just think that this is particularly a misguided sort of sense of justice. And it's not as though Jeffrey Epstein is now somehow getting off scot-free because clearly he's he's been arrested again uh, because he they said he still poses a risk and they believe he still poses a risk because clearly he hasn't been rehabilitated. He hasn't changed his ways in any way. And of course he hasn't. He wasn't given proper rehabilitation. He was hardly in prison. So this particular case, uh, I believe they said it could, he could have decades of prison time for the particular charges that are being brought now. But again, that has to do with, will he actually be sentenced for what, what they believe he deserves? And, and, Going back to the original case, he actually only served 13 months. And that 13 months, like I said, was that sort of split up. He doesn't even have to be in jail or in prison for for super long. So, I don't know. I just think we should direct the attention towards the system and less on the individual, especially because... He has no influence on that now as he is in a different role. And I don't think that should matter. Now.
So next one I'd like to talk about is a show on Netflix. Many people have heard of it. Many people enjoy it called Stranger Things. No spoilers because I have hate me all you want. I didn't even get through season two yet because I thought it was a little slow. So I have to finish season two and then I'll get through season three, which just dropped on July 4th. So bear with me on that. But there's been a recent controversy regarding the show and its depiction of smoking. So Stranger Things is set in the 80s and one of the main characters, the uh, police officer, Hopper, he particularly is seen smoking pretty frequently. I've seen from season one, I do recall sort of the first time that we met this character, he was smoking. And then in subsequent times, you would see him smoking and sort of throughout the season, throughout the show, you would see him smoking it several times. And some people complained about it and they said for a show that is targeting a particular demographic, it's depicting smoking far too frequently and it's becoming a problem because Netflix is not sort of subject to the same kind of standards that films are or shows on broadcast or sometimes cable are because they're their own media entity. So they make and distribute their own shows. They're not beholden to any advertisers. They're not beholden to any broadcast standards so they can really do whatever they want. But some people complained and Netflix decided that in the future for a potential fourth season of Stranger Things, they will, and and other shows, they will cut back on the number of depictions of smoking. Now, let's let's take it into perspective. Like I said, this show is set in the 80s, and there was more frequent smoking. There was more smoking in public. There were more depictions of smoking. I mean, it is a period piece, so it is trying to depict a certain era. It's trying to put you in that place. But I don't think smoking is necessary to make me understand that we're in the 80s. Granted, I get the, I, I totally get the argument that we need to stop being so sensitive to things that are from a different time. I know a lot of people get up in arms about things that, I mean, from either a long time ago or from recent history that now don't look right or don't sound right or don't seem right because you can't take something from a long time ago and put it in the current political and social climate. It's just not right. We didn't have Me Too in even 2014. We didn't have it in in that or, you know, the 50s or 2014. You know, it's you can't take things from a long time ago and put it in the current lens. So, so I, I get that and I, I sympathize with that particular argument because I really hate when we get super sensitive about that argument and, and looking at old things. But to, to depict smoking, I don't need to see smoking to understand that the show is set in the 80s or that it's a different time or an old time. I mean, if you've seen the show, they have a, an excellent research team, an excellent props and costumes team that has painstakingly done their research and gotten all of the proper clothing and set pieces and props. They actually, for season three, 
they renovated a part of the Gwinnett Place Mall in Georgia and made it look like a mall from the 80s, the Starcourt Mall. And it is, if you've seen the pictures of it, it looks perfect. It looks exactly like you would imagine a mall in the 80s would look. So I get that the show is set in the 80s. I can I can very easily spot that it's set in the 80s. But why do I need the smoking so frequently to get that context? Now, I will give the argument, while it was set in the 80s, it was created in 2018. You know, so if we created something now, but with the mindset that it's supposed to be set in a different time, that doesn't mean we need to with reckless abandon, get rid of all of the social and just awareness that we have for particular things that we say and things that we do, you know, things like, and I I don't like that they're making these particular movies, but things like there's going to be a remake of Lady and the Tramp. And one of the things that they're going to be removing or altering in that new version are the Siamese cats because those cats featured... Asian stereotypes. My understanding of that movie is not tied to that character or the way that that character was depicted. Just like how my understanding of the 80s is not depicted through smoking. So uh, we, we don't have to completely, when we remove something like that, it doesn't completely change my understanding. But we also don't have to completely forget everything that we've learned through time to put me in that place. So, again, I get both sides, I understand the argument, and I think we should take out some of the smoking. It's not like it's going to make that huge of an impact or that big of a difference, but I think it is a little excessive. I've seen what they're talking about, I saw season one, I, I think it's a little egregious, I think it's a little over the top, and it just isn't necessary, and it's, it's such a dumb thing to fight over. It's smoking, who cares that much? It's so irrelevant to the story. So lastly, what I wanted to talk about is the U.S. women's soccer team. So they just won the World Cup. Congratulations to the team. But there's some controversy. It's actually, a, I would say, a two-parted controversy. So the one is they and others have been complaining about equal pay in women's sports and expressing that while men's soccer and, and really all of men's sports get paid a particular amount. Female athletes get paid much less, and it furthers the idea of equal pay for equal work that is sort of pervasive in all of society. Uh, let me let me talk about just that part first. So, absolutely, obviously, women and men should be paid the same for equal work. But sports is a little different, and for for some of it, I will again, I'll sort of give it to both sides. So certain aspects of the way that the team functions, like uh, I was just talking to somebody about this. One of the issues is per diem pay. So things like their transportation and food and things like that and, and being able to afford certain things like that. All of that, all of the sort of pay for what matters most sort of at the human level I think all of that, obviously, 100% should be paid equally for across the board. 
for uh, at least in, in terms of the same sport that should be paid equally across the board. However, there are certain aspects of sports that get overlooked when we're talking about the equal pay debate, and that has to do with ratings and the popularity of the sport. Obviously, there are times when you see men's basketball and and football and things like that, and they get massive ratings and massive, you know, big ad endorsements and things like that, and they're making lots and lots of money for the companies that are handling the, the business side. And, of course, the same can be said for women's sports. Lots and lots of money is going into it, and lots and lots of endorsements and advertisements and all that kind of stuff. But at the very basic level, when men's sports are making more money, not from a sexist point of view, when they just happen to be making more money, they compensate their players more because of that. And if they weren't, the big companies would be keeping more of that money, and then we would all be complaining about corporate greed. And that's also a fair argument if that was the case. So to just, it's a nuanced thing. It's a very multifaceted problem. So you can't just outright say, well, in every aspect, women and female athletes or or female athletes should be paid completely exactly the same as their male counterparts because it's not about their gender. It's about the popularity and the the amount of money coming in for that thing. I mean, at, at a very basic level, the NBA and the WNBA don't their players don't get paid the same because they are just not at, they're not on the same level in terms of their popularity, both you know, in stadium games and televised games. They're they're on a totally different level. Same thing as I mean even if their their skill level, even if the the women's team was doing better, same like with the World Cup, the women's team is doing great, and they won, fantastic. They should maybe get paid more for this season because they did so well, and and maybe the ratings went up because it gained some national attention. Anyway, the other issue that's going on with the U.S. women's soccer team is because they won the World Cup. There is an understanding that generally is a tradition here in America. When a sports team wins a big championship, they go and visit the White House. They get an invitation from the president to visit the White House as sort of like a ceremonial congratulations. Well, preemptively, before the the game had even completed, before the tournament was over, there were several of the players basically collectively as a team saying, we're just not going to go to the White House. We are not interested in meeting President Trump. We do not respect him, and we don't want to visit the White House. First of all, I find it very presumptuous to assume that you would be invited at all because Trump sort of breaks from tradition and doesn't always do things the way that predecessors have done or the way that we assume things would go. So, I again, I, I find it very presumptuous to assume that you would have been invited at all, first of all. But why do we care so much? So, so this has sort of erupted into this big political fight of, well, you should respect the president and you should go visit no matter who the president is. And if I, if it was Obama, you know, conservatives are saying, oh, if it was Obama, I would visit it no matter what. Even if I didn't like Obama, I would still go to the White House because it's the president. All of that can be true. You can absolutely believe that 
you would still visit and you can still have that opinion and that's totally fine. But at a very basic level, why do we care if sports stars do or do not visit the White House? How does that affect our understanding or our you know, ability to govern, our ability to have patriotism, our ability to whether you are personally allowed to like the president or not? It just seems like a weird fight to have, you know? You still like the president. You still you support him, you like him, but somebody else doesn't. And suddenly it's, well, they should go because it's the president. Well, why does it matter? Why? First of all, why do we even invite these people to the White House to begin with? You know, the Eagles were invited to the White House when they won the Super Bowl. To be honest, I don't even recall how that turned out because it didn't really matter to me. I know the Patriots for several years have been going and they... Tom Brady is a uh, a friend of Trump. He he knows Trump, so that was sort of a, a weird situation that they were having to deal with. I know several Eagles players said they weren't going to go if they were invited, but I just don't understand why it matters at all whether they go or not. You know, that's just that it's one of those like ceremonial things that we've just sort of come become accustomed to, as if it really matters. It's 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 almost like just a show of the president being a pop culture icon, and I don't think it's necessary. Same thing with everyone complained that, oh, Trump's the first president that hasn't thrown out a ceremonial first pitch. Well, okay, who cares? Well, ceremonial first pitch since, I don't know, for for some close to 90 years, something like that. Why does that matter? Or, or, or the first in a while to not have a dog. Again, why does that matter? It's It's these sort of things that, oh, Trump is breaking all these norms, and Trump is doing all these things that are against you know, what we are accustomed to, well, we're fighting about the pettiest of petty dumb things that you're getting caught up in in these kinds of things that just don't matter, and then it muddies the waters for the things that might matter, you know? You're, you're hurting your own argument by getting so uptight and worried about whether Trump lets these soccer players come to the White House, and you're not thinking about other policies that you also oppose— and, and breaking norms and things like that. It just, it's one of those arguments that I, I don't understand why everyone's getting so uptight about it because everything is political nowadays, no matter what it is. And it's just enjoy soccer or don't enjoy soccer. Stop worrying so much whether they want to go to the White House or not. You probably already assumed that they didn't like the president anyway. So again, why do you care? So lastly, real quick, what I wanted to get off my chest is this past week, it was on Sunday overnight, Cameron Boyce, who was a Disney Channel star, he was on the show Jesse, as well as Gamer's Guide to Everything, I believe it was, uh, as well as the movie Descendants, the movie film series Descendants. Uh, He passed away at the age of 20, and it was... We're still learning about the details, but it had something to do with a medical issue, an ongoing medical issue that he was receiving treatment for. Um, We're hearing rumors of a seizure and possibly some complications from that. Uh, Obviously, this is really, really sad, and I I didn't really watch those shows in particular, the movies. I Sort of when that show came out, I sort of stopped watching kids' TV, but... To me, it's it's always sad when you hear about 
a young person obviously dying so, so young. He's only 20. He's younger than me. I can't even imagine that. But what I can say, the, the only shred of good I can see out of this is I'm so thankful to hear that it was something totally benign and just a medical issue because I'm so like child stars and and people from my era and just before me I'm so sick and tired of hearing of people dying and uh, being ill and and overdosing and things and from like drugs and alcohol and and or, or terrible car accidents or things like that like easily preventable things like if it's one thing I'm just glad it was something that wasn't of his own choosing it wasn't something he could have controlled or stopped that it was something medical and that's all i would have to say is just that that is how i would be thankful for it and that's all for this edition of millennially speaking i'm david latimer be sure to rate us on apple podcasts or wherever you listen and if you like this podcast share us with your friends we're also on instagram at millennially underscore speaking and on youtube millennially speaking We'll be back next week.